0: Hello, everyone. Today's special episode is an interview with Dr. Tom Chafin about his new book, Revolutionary Brothers Thomas Jefferson, the Marquis de Lafayette, and the Friendship that Helped Forge Two Nations. This fascinating new book is part dual biography, part narrative history about these two men who helped found the United States of America and the First French Republic. From the battlefields of 1770s America, it follows Lafayette and Jefferson back to Paris where the two collaborate to write the Declaration of the Rights of Man and the Citizen. It's a fascinating story, finally told. Dr. Tom Chafin received his M.A. in American Studies at New York University and his Ph.D. in U.S. History at Emory. He has worked as a journalist and a history teacher working in numerous universities. He has written a number of other books, including Giant's Causeway, Frederick Douglass's Irish Odyssey and the Making of an American Visionary, Met His Every Goal, James K. Polk and the Legends of Manifest Destiny, and numerous others. Please enjoy. well thank you very much for coming on the show dr chafin i wanted to start by asking why did you choose to write this book because it seems like such a huge topic that is part double biography part history of america and france but it also includes a decent amount in other countries such as britain what inspired you to take on this big task
1: i I lived uh for a year in in Paris uh, a long time ago, and uh, ever since then I, I've um, I've had an affection for or interest in in French subjects, and then you know twenty years later I um, or more actually I was reading about uh, Jefferson and Lafayette and, and their friendship, and I. I was intrigued by their friendship. They, they seemed to to be such uh, come from such different worlds. And then I uh, discovered that uh, there there hadn't really been a, a book on on that friendship. And I started thinking about how that that could uh, a book on that could uh, maybe illuminate both both the revolutions of both countries. Because I found that this it's not my finding the subject, but the subject finds me. In,
0: It's always the best thing. I only ask because it seems like such a huge endeavor. I know that I personally would uh, approach such a huge subject with a bit of uh, trepidation, but you really launched yourself into it and did uh, such an amount of uh, research. Did it take a long time to write?
1: Basically, I think... uh... Two full years of work and, and, and intermittently another two years. Well, the first two years I was working on it. I was, I was not doing it full time.
0: So let's talk about your research for a moment. You didn't just hop between archives, but you visited the actual sites where these people worked and did their most important work. What effect did these experiences have on you and your work? The main work of the historian is is in
1: archives and uh, so I don't want to overstate the uh, value of, of, of such travels but I that said in in my own books I found over the years that that uh, visiting the sites of events to be depicted in, in a manuscript can can help polish the narrative in, a, in sort of general ways it gives me a, a, a better feel for the uh, Better feel for the uh, a place and its scale. You know, if it's a building or, or mountains or whatever, uh, or its relationship to with um, other uh, places that are going to be depicted in the book. In other cases, it can provide more tangible benefits. Uh, you know, there, there's a opportunity in some in, in some cases to correct errors in the uh, in primary source documents. I mean, there's nothing. Uh, um, Mystical about primary source documents—they're—they're they're written by fallible human beings. I mean, one 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 instance that comes to mind is my first book was on a, a fatal glory was an a attempted uh, uh, invasion of Cuba by uh, led by Narciso Lopez, uh, a filibuster who um, raised uh, armies in the in the successive armies uh, expeditionary armies in the United States to invade Cuba. And the, toward the end of the research for that book, i I visited Cuba, and I visited the National Archives, Havana, but I also tried to get out to some uh, landing sites, um, and um, there I, I discovered that um, that in a a document that I was relying on, that the uh, the diarist had uh, misstated the direction that the army turned. I mean, it wasn't a it wasn't like the whole manuscript hinged on that, uh, but it was, uh, you know, it was a significant error that I was able to correct. In this book, though, um, Revolutionary Brothers, I'll give you another example. I mean, I went, I visited, uh, I managed to get into Lafayette's final um, apartment in Paris. Uh, um, uh, it, it's it's privately owned, and the, the uh, owner uh, invited me in. I visited some other sites in Paris and, and, and in the south of France, went to a lot of places that Jefferson had visited. One of my trips to Paris, I made two during the research. I visited Versailles, which I had been to before. At this point, the manuscript was was pretty much already written. I mean, I had finished a, a first draft, but um, there's a there's a key scene in in which Lafayette, he's trying to save um, Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette and tr- trying to chart a middle course through the um, politics of that uh, increasingly fraught politics of, of that day in 1789. Um, and he, he visits uh, Versailles, he speaks with the king and queen, and he makes a, um, an appearance on the balcony with Marie Antoinette. Through his in- intervention, they, the, the, he's speaking before a crowd that's assembled beneath the balcony and he, he wins them over. When I was visiting Versailles and I'd been there before, but uh, years, years before, but I, 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 I went to that spot where the balcony that they had stood on and I realized I had assumed that it was an exterior but I realized it opened on an exterior courtyard, and and then I I, I went into the um, or an, excuse me an interior courtyard, and then I dug into some more sources, and I realized that the it was it was not only an interior courtyard, but the crowd was there because the um, security had already been compromised in the palace, and so that the, these mobs had had managed to get into an interior courtyard that normally was accessible only to the uh, royal family and their attendants so i realized that the scene was even more fraught than i i realized so anyway that that was a, that's another one more example of how th- such visits can um can be useful that that said i mean i realized that uh it's impossible to you know visit every place that an author is going to depict in a book and so i don't want to overstate that i mean i think of uh there's a, a i've i've known historians who I think, to my mind, overdo that. I mean, it's it's like the uh, uh, method, Stanislaus school of writing history. You, that you know, of method, historical writing, equivalent of method acting. And and um, I'm not a chameleon. I, I don't try to do that. You can't uh, you can't retrieve the past, and you can't uh, relive every every uh, scene that you depict.
0: Right. Few of us are. Although I do have to agree with you that there is something powerful to walk in the same places that many of these great people walked, especially when the places are so inauspicious. So let's dive into the book itself, starting with Marie-Joseph Paul Yves Roch gilbert du Marquis de Lafayette, who we will henceforward refer to simply as Lafayette, since that name is absurdly long. Can you explain how the young Lafayette simultaneously supported the Enlightenment ideals behind the American Revolution with such enthusiasm that he sailed to America to fight in the war, yet also supported King Louis XVI as his monarch? Lafayette's education was focused on military affairs, but it also included a, uh,
1: an immersion in the writings of Cicero, Plutarch, Virgil, Horace, and other classical writers who celebrated the um, heroes of ancient R- Rome and Greece. With Lafayette, as for other students of his young men of his generation, the, those um, emerging in those writers rarely produced a um, Republican, but they rarely produced an anti-monarchical uh, activism. So it was more more of a kind of an ornamental Republicanism. And, and, and uh, I should also add that Lafayette's interest in military affairs was, uh, at least initially, had more to do with a, a lifelong sort of quest for um, romantic adventure. He, he talked. He talks in one book about uh, early on. He 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 said he he later recalled that he had grown up with a, a with a desire to uh, wander the world in search of renown or something like that. A lot of his ancestors had been devoted to uh, military service for the cause of France. Lafayette's father was killed when he was two years old, and so he grew up kind of revering his memory. You know, if if he had had his brothers, he would have gone to war against England to avenge his father's death. Lafayette heard about this revolution that was going on or war of independence in the United States and through uh, a series of Paris agents was eventually recruited to that cause. But when, when he arrived on American shores, uh, he, I mean, he he sort of walked, talked the talk of of Republicanism, but it was it was it was really a kind of a um, again more ornamental than than um, visceral. I mean, he he really was at that point still motivated mostly by anti-British sentiments and a desire to revenge the death of his father. His Republican sentiments uh, later became more genuine, but initially they were just they they I found they were I mean. I think there was a kind of hollowness to them. He was just uh, kind of, um, at that point, talking the talk rather than walking the walk.
0: I was particularly interested, among other things, in your portrayal of Lafayette's pedigree. I had no idea that Lafayette's father was killed by a cannonball at the Battle of Minden in the Seven Years' War. His uncle fought in the War of Polish Succession. That was a pretty incredible thing to find out. And I think it goes to your point that for him, a lot of this was personal rather than ideological. I thought that was very interesting. So moving on to the actual American front, I think most Americans are vaguely familiar with the name Lafayette and might even know he was an important French general in the American War for Independence but they don't know just how crucial he was to the war. You recount that Lafayette was at Valley Forge. He was sent to Virginia to counter Benedict Arnold and was a major leader in the Battle of Yorktown, the final large-scale battle of the war. Can you tell us a bit how this Frenchman, who was initially received very poorly by Americans as a vainglorious adventurer, became such an integral part of the American army?
1: After Lafayette arrived, he arrived in, in, uh, uh, near Georgetown, South Carolina, and eventually found his way overland to Philadelphia over the next uh, few months and And soon he called on, he met George Washington and presented his um, credentials and to the Continental Congress, and to the members of the Congress that he met uh, he presented his credentials to, as well as George Washington. He struck up a, immediately a bond with Washington on a personal level, but but Washington, like the um, members of Congress, re- remained skeptical. I mean, he had been in the French army, but had had no combat experience. France was not at war with anyone, but Washington, as Eason wrote to um, one of his colleagues, that uh, I don't want to d- decline this young man's, um, I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, I don't want to turn him down, but because he's very well connected and, and they were already angling for French assistance or an expansion of French assistance. Uh, at that point it was kind of meager uh, and clandestine and um, they were hoping that, that even then for a formal alliance and, and Lafayette and Washington realized that Lafayette was uh, a wealthy, he was very, very wealthy, I mean from his own uh, family's money. Washington Recognized the value of those, but he he initially re- refused to to grant him a command. To make a long long story short, he eventually w- wins Lafayette's confidence, and is granted a command. And then he uh, he delivers um, at Yorktown and some other earlier battles. And the... that said, I think Lafayette's main importance lies in the um, in his connections uh, to the to the. Court and the French government, a- and he 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 comes to know, uh, he comes to have a wider ar- array of correspondence, and 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 throughout the war, he's he's lobbying, or up until the alliance, he's he's lobbying for, for that uh, alliance, and I, I think, and then he becomes a kind of symbol of that alliance. I, I think that's his, um, that was his main importance.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Factor. Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. With over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan, and veggie, and more, there's always something new and delicious to enjoy. With over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, Factor is your go-to for all your dietary needs. Cheaper than takeout, healthy, and easy to prepare, Factor provides all the restaurant-quality meals, snacks, smoothies, whatever you need, they've got it. And with food ready to heat and eat, you won't have to deal with the regular kitchen mess. Factor is giving out a special deal for our show's listeners. Head to factormeals.com slash FrenchHistory50 and use the code French History 50 to get 50% off. That again is French History 50 at factormeals.com slash French History 50. Sign up now, your stomach will thank you later. Well, uh, that's too bad for Lafayette then. Here I was trying to build him up, but either way, I'm sure he'll be uh, remembered pretty well. So During Lafayette's assignment in Virginia, he came into contact with Thomas Jefferson. They had a lot of similarities in that both were rich men who lived in the countryside and weren't very adept in social settings with other notables, but both were idealists. Though you note that Lafayette was primarily a soldier whose many relatives served in the French military, Jefferson was a committed civilian and political theorist why do you think these two became such close friends initially their collaboration and eventual
1: friendship was was founded on circumstances and need uh, in other words mutual reciprocity george washington dispatched uh, lafayette to virginia in 1781 the spring of 1781 to save then governor jefferson the embarrassment of a of a second british raid on the- on the state capitol at Richmond, Jefferson needed his state capital saved, and 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 uh, and Lafayette needed to uh, advance the cause of of, Revol- of the American Revolution and, and prove his uh, worthiness to Washington. They also shared um, a number of interests: uh, um, political theory, uh, uh, women, um, and interest in indigenous cultures. However, those things alone do not uh, explain a friendship of, of um, four decades. Um, and I think, a, I think a critical aspect of their friendship was the fact that they both were kind of provincial noble, noblemen who, who came from places distant from their respective national capitals. And I, th- as a, I think as a consequence of, of those backgrounds, n- neither, neither men were ever completely comfortable in their respective national capitals.
0: Neither am I. So some of the best scenes in the book are of American diplomats in France, like Adams, Jefferson, and their wives. Can you tell our readers how strange it was for them?
1: speaking of, of, of Jefferson he um, before he ever arrived in France it's fair to say he was he was already a, a sort of um, a francophile just from his education his uh, affections for things like French manners and um, cuisine are, are quickly kind of confirmed and, and also he in 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 Paris he soon became Becomes he sort of through um, his friendships begins to learn more about like painting and sculpture. The experience of living there also confirms his American cultural biases, uh, to wit, he Jefferson would blush any time a conversation
0: took a a risqué gambit. And it does seem that he was pretty overwhelmed during his visit because early on he got to attend mass in notre dame with the king consecrating his son there was a huge firework show and at one point jefferson says that there must be more people in the streets of paris than in all of virginia which might be a bit of a stretch but probably not by much
1: yeah I i think he was uh taken by the uh i mean jefferson was uh as you know not, not particularly religious uh, but um, the religion he had known was was primarily you know a, a protestant denomination so he was i think he was really taken by the sort of baroque elements of roman catholicism the incense and architecture and that, that sort of factors
0: as the british might say bells and smells but but also just the the, the uh
1: I, I think with the seeing you're talking about he's was he's, he's uh, like like um, the adamses um, who also attended that uh, he was really taken by the power that the monarchy seemed to have over the mass population
0: yeah, it really is an incredible thing how obviously Jefferson was opposed to the idea of absolute monarchy and yet at the same time the culture of frenchness which he so admired was tied into that of course we're going to have to put that aside for just a moment there's one
1: thing i wanted to mention just this it's it's sort of not germane to anything we've talked about but you know lafayette strikes up a friendship with with franklin you know one is is very old and the other is is very young but they they established this this rapport, and sooner collaborating on various projects. One of which, I still find like kind of amazing. It was a uh, a children's picture book devoted to the subject of British war atrocities. <laughs> and and it, amid Franklin's papers, there's uh, some text for this. The, the The drawings were not commissioned, were never commissioned. But anyway, I just I thought that was a kind of bizarre. <laughs>
0: Well, I'm glad the two could bond over Anglophobia. So, all right, now let's talk about one of the most important documents in French history and possibly world history, the Declaration of the Rights of Man and of the Citizen, one of the founding documents of the French Republic, which later influenced the UN Declaration of Rights and many others. Can you explain how Lafayette and Jefferson developed this incredible work?
1: Well, so let me say that't I'm, I'm, I'm no expert on the uh, Declaration of the Rights of Man, but um, I do know that in in 1789 there were, in, in Paris there was a sort of vogue for writing the writing of constitutions. Uh, Lafayette was working on on one that eventually became the Declaration of Rights of Man. Jefferson was working on one. Governor Morris was working on one. Who was, who was there as a, a, a business agent. Many other figures were also working on constitutions for the uh, soon-to-be-established French Republic. The circum- we, we have very little evidence of the creation of that, or documents associated with the creation of, of Lafayette's Declaration of the Rights of Man. The, the evidence that, that we have suggests that Lafayette, however, was its principal author, and that, that Jefferson was valued by Lafayette for his counsel, and and often sought that counsel while he was writing it. But it was really Lafayette's work. And, and that said, Lafayette uh, drew on not only on Jefferson, uh, Jefferson's counsel, but he others, in, including um, Condor, I think Condorcet and um, other French thinkers, as as well as his own readings in, in Montesquieu, et cetera.
0: Yeah, it was a particularly fascinating point because. I'll admit I am a modern French historian. I look uh, primarily at World War I, so I had uh, I wasn't aware that Lafayette was the primary writer. and the fact that uh, Jefferson helped him write it, even if it was in a more minor position, that really struck me. I mean that was a, a pretty incredible connection. Before
1: we l- leave that topic, though, I-, I just wanted to add that um, Lafayette's Declaration of the Rights of Man it does call it does ev- evoke uh, the, a need for recognition of natural rights inalienable and imprescribable rights but it also calls for a it's 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 about creating a constitutional monarchy by explicitly and by a mission— and the other point i wanted to make is is it it really was was written to function as a sort of declaration of, of independence or the french equivalent of the declaration of independence announcing the creation of of la nation a new like french republic and it it sketched out what the what the government of that new republic might be it's, it was like a, a preamble but it it didn't it didn't uh, it wasn't a full blown U.S. Cons- equivalent of a U.S. Constitution. The French Assembly would only adopt that in 1791, and, and, and Lafayette was not involved in that. But I think its, it's, um, it's main significance for that day and, and for posterity, is, as you suggest, is, is, was it, it's serving as inspiration for anti-monarchical and Republican movements around the world.
0: Yeah, and one thing which you mention, but which isn't necessarily integral to the story itself, is how later on, some of the other French revolutionaries added in the active versus passive citizenship question to this, which really changed the meaning of the document. I think it's worth mentioning, although... Uh, we probably shouldn't go down that road because that could lead us to who knows where. So on that note, so far we've talked about similarities between the two men, but now we need to talk about the big difference between them, which is the enslavement of Africans. You note in the book that Lafayette was an idealist and committed abolitionist, while Jefferson remained, as you describe, a Virginia planter. How did this difference affect their relationship? My own view is that it it didn't really affect their relationship. I mean, Jefferson was
1: conflicted on that issue, and and guilty throughout his life of of brazen hypocrisies on the subject. But um, and and Lafayette, by contrast, was initially when he arrived in in the United States was blithely really didn't appreciate the. Uh, the moral dimension of of uh, human slavery, of human chattel slavery. When he, he arrives and he, he visits Charleston, in, in, in his letters to uh, to his wife and, and other correspondents, he he barely mentions the slavery that he wit- he undoubtedly witnessed there. He, he's just talking about the freedom that exists in America. Um, he, he's he's really just blind to it. But I think by the end of the war, he had um, become more reflective on on the subject, and, and over the course of his lifetime becomes increasingly committed to gradual abolition. But again, to, I, I don't think that the, uh, that subject really intruded upon their friendship. Uh, they they seem to be a kind of tactical, or tacit um, agreement to avoid the subject. Not completely, I mean, uh, Jeff, uh, Lafayette brings it up uh, occasionally, but, but not very often. He brought it up when he was visiting Jefferson in 1824 on his uh, uh, you know, return to the United States.
0: Yeah, that was interesting, especially because at times Lafayette seemed to be so passionate about it. Although it seems like, especially with Lafayette getting caught up in the numerous government upheavals, he had more to consider than just abolition itself. So now for my final question, on the one hand, I imagine that reading about all the important events that these two men spearheaded makes one mythologize these figures, but there are other parts of the book, such as Thomas Jefferson's treatment of Sally Hemings and Lafayette's vacillations during the French Revolution and outright humiliation at times that humanize these figures. How did writing this book change your perceptions of the two men, and how do you imagine these two historical figures?
1: I began this book with, a, uh, with uh, respecting Jefferson's intellect, but taking a less uh, charitable view of his personal morality. I think writing this book only reinforced those views. <laughs> Lafayette was the, was the dis- uh, real discovery for me. I, I, I knew virtually nothing about him. When I began the book, I, I thought that he was, uh, I just assumed he was uh, my reputation an adept military commander. You know, his, his um, Lafayette is, is so uh, ubiquitous in American life. I mean, I, I realize, you know, there are scores of towns, counties, rivers uh, across the United States uh, named for him. And I realized in my own life, and I live in Atlanta where I grew up, and uh, there are probably four, three or four streets named after him. And, uh, when I lived in, uh, I lived in, when I lived in Savannah, I lived a, a, a couple blocks from a Lafayette park. When I lived in San Francisco, uh, I lived near a, a park also named for Lafayette and I lived in New York. I lived in the lower Manhattan near Lafayette street <laughs> and, uh, et cetera. Anyway, I think his name is so ubiquitous. I think um, many Americans, myself included, uh, sort of sort of take him for granted, and I I, I concluded very quickly that he was um, when I began writing this book that he was really the the best and least known of America's founders, and I I, I also started the book with the idea that Lafayette basically saves Jefferson's reputation in 1781 by saving Richmond from a second British raid, and that l- later when Jefferson becomes a diplomat at Paris, that he serves as a sort of intellectual mentor to Lafayette and introduces him to the thinkers of the Enlightenment. Well, I I realized pretty quickly that uh, Jefferson, or Lafayette, was was far more interesting than that. He was uh, far from anyone's cipher. By the way, there was a 14-year age difference. uh, Hence, that's why I, I very quickly began to see him as a sort of older brother to Lafayette. Lafayette I, I realized could, uh, you know, his, he was he was influenced by Jefferson, but also Renal and Condorcet and other French thinkers of of that age as as um, and as well as his own reading. So he was he was very much his own man intellectually. Uh, and as far as his um, his commitment to abolitionism, uh, that was I, I, I did not I was not aware of that. You know, he was, this is a a man who was, uh, I've got a quote here, a couple of quotes. Thomas Clarkson, the uh, the venerable British abolitionist, uh, said of Lafayette, he was decidedly as uncompromising an enemy to the slave trade and slavery as any man I ever knew. And Frederick Douglass, who visited Lafayette's grave in the, I think, the uh, 1870s, maybe. And and remember, Douglass was was no admirer of, of Jefferson. I mean, his... One of his most famous lectures, um, uh, "What to the uh, Slave Is the Fourth of July," uh, was was basically an indictment of of Jefferson for a, for galling hypocrisies on, on matters of race and slavery. But Je- but Douglas took a different view of Lafayette during his one thousand, eight hundred and eighty-six visit to his grave in in Paris. Douglas reflected, "Quote: This du- spot is doubly hallowed. This patriot had two countries." For his own which and that that sort of brought this project full circle for me my last book was uh giant causeway was about frederick douglas's um um time in in uh, ireland and 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 britain as on a lecture tour that he conducted
0: well lafayette was a truly incredible figure as you mentioned the hero of two worlds and the French History Podcast would like to take this opportunity to endorse him for president in 2020. Dr. Chafin, thank you very much for being on our program.
1: Well, thank you, Gary. I appreciate your interest in having me on.
0: Thank you. As always, donations keep the podcast going, so if you would like to make a one-time donation or become a patron, please consider doing so. Thank you very much for your continued support. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks...